Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. We were going to start with verse 8. We left off at verse 7. I'm going to read to you um, from 8, probably just uh, um, to 14. And um, starting with verse 8 of Philippians 4. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is a good repute, whatever is excellent, and if there's anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be, and I like that, the God of peace will be with you. Uh, We have the peace of God in us, but he will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now that you have um, revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before. But now you lack. Uh, but you lacked opportunity. He, just to kind of unwrap that verse a little bit, you know, um, ten to twelve years ago, um, he was there at Philippi, and uh, um, and then now they're, they're they, they've been giving him money. They've given him help at, at when he was at the church of Thessalonica, and they didn't have a chance for a number of years to help him. And now he said, "Now you revive your concern." So now they're wanting to help again. They're reviving the concern to get out there and help help or help Paul. Not that I speak from one. <clears throat> now here's a key verse. For I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. <clears throat> and, I, you know, there are some secrets to contentment. And maybe we can unravel those this morning. Some of the secrets to contentment. Um, and then in, again in verse, uh, verse 8 it says, um, Dwell on these things. So there's two things, that, there's two points. If you're going to take, dwell on these things, and I am content in whatever circumstances. Those are kind of key verses. Okay, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. I can do all th- things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my afflictions. Father, once again, I'm asking, as we have prayed to set us free, Lord, that this morning your word would be that take that liberating um, part uh, that you do so well and liberate uh, all of us, Father, to be content in all situations. In Jesus' name, amen. Um. I have a dog, and we just got him last year, and his name's Marty. So, but anyway, my dog is he. You know, dogs can be pretty content. It's pretty amazing. We can learn a lot from dogs, believe it or not. Now, if you're an animal lover, you know what I'm talking about. So, uh, but I'll take Marty out to the Heritage Trail down here on the Wabash, and we'll walk, and he'll just run, and he's just frolicking, free-spirited. I'll take him, put him in the car, get him a cheeseburger and fries, take him home. He'll lay next to my chair with me in it and chew on his favorite deer antler, and he's content. He's happy. And when he's not content, he'll come up to me with his with the, the Kong, you ever heard of a Kong? And the dogs chew on this Kong, and I put peanut butter in it, and he chews that thing with a peanut butter, then he's content. But for the most part, when I come home, even if I don't do those things for him, he'll just lay by my chair and just happy. He's content. And that's what God wants us for us is to be content with him, to be fulfilled in him. And so he's going to give us kind of an, a, a picture of, it comes from a, a mind that dwells on the right thing. That's where contentment comes. So when he says dwell on these things, and he gave us this little list, but let me just say dwell. Where do we dwell? Let your mind dwell on these things. The Greek word is logizomai, and it means to compute, to calculate, um, 
to count over. You go over and over. You're computing. It's kind of like if you're a pharmacist and you count over and over those uh, meds, making sure you give the right amount of meds in the prescription. They go over and over and over it. It's like you're calculating. You're counting it over and over. You're looking at these things, and these are the things I should think about. It's judging or determining or deciding. You're, 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 um, you're letting your mind dwell. I'm going to dwell on the right things, and it's going to be there a while. It's going to, again, calculate. It's going to, he's going to look at it really deep. Paul wrote to the Romans, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans 12.2. Guys, Romans 12.2 really speaks loud to us. But it means, like my mind before I knew Jesus was all dirty and messed up, and I had to have a transformation. Now, I did, you know, people say, Tom, you're just brainwashed. You said, I just say, you bet I am, because my brain was needing to be washed. It was filthy. So I was brainwashed in the Word of God. I was transformed. My mind is different than it used to be. It did come somewhat in some areas natural. I quit doing certain things and my mind didn't want to go there anymore. But then I had to practice some things too. You know what I mean? Some things like, you know, cussing, smoking, drinking, hanging around. I mean, some of those things fell off of me. Then I had all these other stuff that really, you know what I mean? Just, ah, ah, get that stuff off, you know. And so, um, so you dwell on the right things because we need to be transformed. Set your mind on things above. Now, Paul is going to say dwell on these things. And I believe he's referring to Philippians chapter 4 to that particular group of people, but especially in verse 8. True, honorable, right, pure, lovely. I mean, he says dwell on those. So where to think about things above simply means this. Things that are not of this earth that bring us earthly pleasure that are temporary, but we think on heavenly things that are, that are up in heaven. Romans 8, 6 says, The mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So if you got your mindset on fleshly things, y'all just walking dead corpses. Because that's death. I mean, and, and you can even be a believer and walk in spiritual um, death. You're not necessarily lost your salvation. God doesn't want your mind to hang, out, hang on to the fleshly things. But if, if your mind is set on the spirit, it is what? Life and peace. Contentment. God wants you content in where you're at. There's nothing worse than a discontented old sourpuss. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I can't wait till Jesus comes back and the world's going to hell in a handbasket and I hate everything and I just want to go home. It's like, whoa, I mean, where is where is the joy in that? You know, where is the contentment in that? I mean, I feel that way sometimes, amen? Sometimes you just feel like I'm ready to go home and life is tough. But, so, um, the Bible says in Proverbs 27, 3, that uh, as a man thinks, so he is. So really, our thinking, guys, our dwelling, what, are, what is that? We, today, we are more concerned with how we feel than what we think. It's like, if you don't feel good, I mean, you know, it's like, let's just feel good. That's all that counts, because you don't need to think right. That's why we turn on the TV, because we don't want to think. Let it do the thinking for us. Do you ever turn it on and not even watch it and just and you're zoning? There's nothing computing. Um, it's just like you turn it on because you don't want to think. 
at all. And then when they do, when it does indoctrinate you, it's nothing good in that thing anyway. So we just, or, yeah, what's the first thing you do? A lot of people go into a motel room and they don't do anything but turn the TV on the first thing so they can have background noise. So they can run around and get their room ready. It's like, isn't that weird? Maybe, maybe you don't do that, but I have done that. Just turn the TV on so I can have background noise. And it's like, guys, we need to think. I like what Ravi Zacharias says in his ministry. Let my people think. We need to think. But we're to dwell on the right things. It's all right to watch and learn and hear and learn because Paul says these things what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. Philippians 4.9 says, uh, the things you've seen and heard practice. There's a guy by the name of Paul Robinson. He's a professor at Stanford University, and he contributed to this book called The Little Brown Reader. Now, I don't know much about it. If you're an English student or whatever, you might know something more about it. But, but anyway, in an article, he said this in one of his articles, TV can't educate. Now, my wife took me to task on that because he, she heard that statement. Said, well, you know, I've, I've heard stuff that the kids were taught in Sesame Street that I learned, you know. I mean, so kids did learn from Sesame Street and things like that. But TV cannot really educate like certain things, okay? You can hear stuff. But um, so he says, so and whether you agree with him or not, not there. The only way to learn is by reading, he says. Words on a page can freeze a thought. You can analyze it, synthesize it, verify it, and meditate on it. Pictures don't create thought. They just grab emotions. Well, what he's basically saying, guys, is when you read, you know, when you, like I try to go on my phone to listen to somebody do a sermon or on an iPad, and, you know, you can't do all the little writing and scratching, but those of you got your Bible, you'll underline something and go, and you'll write it down, and you get that thought, and you put it in italicize, you know, italicize it, and you say, oh, Pastor Tom missed that one, and you get an insight, you know. So basically, reading is one of the best ways, and hearing, they say, of learning. You know, we need to learn, but this is what Paul's saying here. And the mind, think about it, the mind has the power to shape who you are. It's one of the most powerful elements in life, the mind. And so, so now what he's saying is, I want you to dwell on these things. And what are these things? I'm going to call them the elite eight. You've heard of the Elite Eight in the March playoffs, right? And there's a, you know, the Final Four. And so the Elite Eight consists of Philippians 4.8. I like it. You kind of get the gist of it. And, it's a, and he just begins with whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever is um, or I'm right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's good repute, if there's any excellency and anything praiseworthy. So he gives these eight things. Now, I'm not going to break down every one of them. But one thing about it is true. One thing about true is I want to bring out to you. Truth. It's, it's so important. Truth is the self-expression of God, I heard one guy say. I like that. Deuteronomy 32.4 says that God is the God of truth. Um, tr- the, the Bible says the sum of thy word is truth. Truth never changes at all, guys. Malachi 3.6 says, For I am the Lord, and I change not. I am the truth, and I change not. John 14.7, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is embodied in the person of Jesus. He is the perfect truth of all truths. Know it, and it will set you free. Truth is not subjective, it's objective. 
It is constant, and it's the same yesterday, today, and forever in Hebrews. So what does it mean by subjective and objective? Objective truth is just simply in simple terms, one plus one is two. It's not subject to anything else but math and its equations. Um, The sky is blue. No one can change that, except if you're colorblind, then it comes all kinds of colors to you. Um, Squares have four sides to it. Taking another person's life is wrong. That is not subjective. That is objective. No matter what anybody says, the moral compass in every man says that's wrong. And when they're murdering babies, we know that it is wrong. It is not right. That is objective truth. You can't deny that. You know, when you read John chapter 19, verse 37 through 38, here's what it says. I have come. Jesus is talking to (coughs) Pilate. He says, I've come into this world to testify of the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So, if you're not of the truth this morning, you're not going to hear anything I say. You're going to hear it, and you might resonate with a few things. But if you're of the truth, and you're trying to live in truth, you're going to go, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like I'm connecting somewhere. And that's what truth is. It connects us. Pilate then said to him, what? This is what he said. What is truth? The age-old question, what is truth? Now, um, I heard it say that all truth is God's truth. Now, when you say that, you're just opening it up to all kinds of things. I don't even know what that means. It's just all kinds of thought and all kinds of conversation. All truth. I mean, all I know is there's truth and there's lies, right? There's pretty much black and white. So, he talks about truth. And guys, we really need to be the people of truth. Truth is the, uh, is the pillar of the church. What makes us different is that we are truthful in our walk with the Lord, and we're truthful with people, and we're truthful with, with what, how we, we, we feel with other people sometimes. That's the hard part, isn't it? Now he says, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, something, you know, something that can bring honor. That's all that means. I'm not going to try to break every one of these words down because I don't have time. But, you know, there's military honors. There's, um, there's the Purple Heart. There's Olympic medals. There's police honors, um, firemen honors, honorable mentions, Oscars, Pillar, um, Pulitzer Prizes, Nobel Peace Prizes, Dove Awards. But that's not what he's talking about. You need to get honored in different ways. Whatever is honorable, the right and honorable thing to do. And I just want to share with you that I think it's honorable what our guys are doing to set up a ring and go out here every week and bring these kids in and love them and teach them the disciplines of boxing and, and physical physical um, disciplines, but also tell them about Jesus. We got a friend that's over in China by the name of Heidi Olson, and Heidi's over there telling those Chinese people about Jesus. That's honorable. She's giving her life to those people. That's honorable. Whatever is honorable, whatever is right. Right is right, kind of simple, isn't it? You know, when you say you're righteous, that means you are in right standing with God. There's right and there's wrong, right? There's grace that kind of bleeds in there. But, but if you're an absolutist, you just see things uh, right and wrong. If you see things black and white, that's, that's all right to a degree. But sometimes not everything is black and white. Amen? Biblically, it is. But what's right and what's wrong? Simple.
um, what's pure, what's morally clean. And it does have the connotations to sexual purity and not immorality, adultery, LGBT, homosexual, the, com, uh, the homosexual community. God loves the drunkard. He loves the homosexual. He loves these people. But those things are not pure. And so, and, and Jesus died on the cross to make them pure. Those are the things that are pure in our life. The Bible says whatever is lovely, whatever really is sweet and attractive. You hear that word, sweet. Well, what does that mean, sweet? You know, they called, uh, was it Walter Payton, Payton Sweetness? The guy, because one of the best runners that ever probably played the sport. Now, that was lovely, watching him run. Or Barry Sanders, those are two of my favorites, so, because <clears throat> of the Bears. But whatever is attractive, I will tell you that my wife is lovely, my children are lovely, and when I wash my Harley, it's lovely. <laughs> but what's really lovely, guys, what's really lovely, it's all on a spiritual note, is the things that are spiritual, like us as people. And I want to be lovely, you know, I don't want to be non-lovely. What does it mean to be non-lovely? I don't know, figure it out and tell me. So, what's ever of good repute? Good, it really means what's well thought of. I'm supposed to dwell on things that are well thought of, things that are, that are of good nature, you know. Um, and then the, what is excellent and what is praiseworthy. Whatever is excellent, it goes above the norm grade. I'm supposed to think on things, that, and you know what? I feel better if I think excellent, don't you? Instead of mediocre, I mean, if I'm thinking excellent, Lord, you want me to live an excellent Christian life. I know I'll never measure up, but I don't want to stop. I want to run as if I'm going to run, win the race. I want excellence in my walk. I want excellence in the way I conduct myself. And, uh, and then praiseworthy. Can you repeat to your children what you have learned, or can you watch on the TV with your two-year-old or your five-year-old what you're watching? Is it praiseworthy? You know, are you watching programming that you don't want your grandkids to see? You know, we've all fallen in those areas at times, but guys, praiseworthy means this, that I can tell anybody that this is good for them to do. If I tell you to go to um, certain events and I don't do it, you know what I mean, and they're praiseworthy events, are they really praiseworthy to me? You know, I mean, I'm trying to try to get across here that what we need to walk our talk and praise being praiseworthy. It means I'm, I'm what I'm doing is worthy of someone say, yep, I like what they're doing. I think it's praiseworthy. Now, he says here in verse nine, the things which you have learned and received and heard in me practice these things so let's go back to the mind real quick so he says dwell on these things practice these things isaiah 118 says come let us reason okay that means guys we have to take our mind and become reasonable in what we believe not just regurgitate what the pastor says or what that tape said but we are learning all the while why we reason the way we do why we what we hope in uh, Psalm 32, verses 8 and 9 says the same thing. Let me just share with you. A religion divorced from earnest and lofty thought has always, down from the whole history of the church, tended to become weak and unwholesome. Interesting. 
The intellect deprived of its rights within religion has sought its satisfaction without, developed into godless rationalization. The hillbilly way of saying that, guys, basically is this, that if you don't think and you're not being challenged by the word of god and you're not thinking what we what and it's not you're not getting jazzed about god's word and about how the bible comes across to you you're going to look for some excitement somewhere else and a lot of times if we check the intellect at the door when we went emotionalism and that's where the church has gone is kind of delve into emotionalism instead of thinking and reasoning you know we we teach the word of god and it should be exciting but we don't need every, you know, everybody jumping around. If we deprive the intellect, then we got to go to something to make it work. So if it's boring the church, led then this, this, well, here's the spirit fell, and we didn't even have any preaching that Sunday. We just sang. People were falling out, shaking. Glitter was falling all over the place. People had divine feelings of their teeth. There was running around, whistles being blown, flags all over the place, people dancing in the spirit, holy laughter began, everybody speaking in tongues all at one time. It was a glorious, chaotic time. We sang a song for 20 to 25 minutes. And some people say, wow, that was the spirit moving in that, that, that church service. And I'm thinking, the spirit moving? I mean, when does God discount his word and go to all emotion? I, you know, I hope you hear what I'm saying. Yeah, we need to be lively when we sing here, and we need to lift our hands and praise God and be exuberant, and sometimes I think we need to get it on a little bit more. I mean, I'm just saying, we're okay, but it's okay to worship the Lord. But when you're putting all that into stock into emotions and all these things, guys, that's what happens when, we, when someone's not taught the Word of God, they're going to have to find their fix somewhere else. So my prayer is that every week that I can present the Word of God to you so that you feel satisfied in the fact that you're being fed. I can't feed you, but Jesus can. So you better pray that Jesus feeds me so I can feed you because I'm just a, I'm just a shepherd that I'm just a sheep like you. I just kind of like the head sheep, I guess you would call. We're all sheep. And we need to be fed. But it's not on emotion. So when we deprive the intellect, boom, it just goes right away to anything else but the Word of God. We're to worship the Lord, what? And John says, in spirit and truth. It's great to get excited and get filled with the Holy Spirit. And I believe in it. I believe in the baptism. I believe to be filled. But I also believe that the Word of God is there, truth. And truth is found in the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That was Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. He was with God and he was God. He is truth. I'm the way, the truth, the life. The mind before we were saved. Now here you go. I hope this, um, you know, this kind of gives you a, a little bit of an insight. But you guys were all depraved. Romans 128. You had a depraved mind. Go with that one. Just all messed up. 1 Corinthians 4.4 4 said, me too, that it was a blind mind. 1 Corinthians 2.14, that you were a fool. You, were, you had a foolish mind. Ephesians 4.17 gives us all what our mind was prior to knowing Jesus. So you don't think Romans 12.2 has a lot to do with being transformed by the renewing of your mind? We really need the renewing of, my, of our mind. It needs to be washed. I'm brainwashed by Jesus and his word. So if someone asks you, so here's the thing with the mind. There's some things we dwell on to be content. 
But the other thing is that when I'm content, I'm more apt to give an answer to someone that asks me about why I believe what I believe. If someone asks you to put uh, 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 why you put your hope in Jesus this morning, what would you say to them? According to 1 Peter 3.15, he said, Be prepared to give an answer to everybody who asks you the reason for what for the hope that you have. The reason. Christianity be, Christianity is reasonable. I mean, there's a reason why I believe what I believe, and I need to be able to give that reason, and not just again say, well, the, um, you know, the, the preacher says this, our church believes that, but you know what you believe, and you're able to articulate it. When someone comes out to you about all millennialism, and we're not going to get into that, pre-trib, Calvinism, Arminianism, and all that, some of that stuff like, ah, I don't even want to, but I do know what I believe, I may not know a lot about theology. I may not know a lot about all the finer points of doctrine. But I know one thing. I was once blind and now I see. I, I couldn't see and Jesus saved me. And I know that to be true. And I need to give that hope to people. But there is the reasonable way of explaining why you don't believe in evolution. Well, I don't believe that we evolved from a monkey. And they're going to say, yeah, okay. So all Christians say. But do you have anything behind that? It's okay. To, to, to attack things in a way that you can explain them to people. We, we really need to not check our brain at the door out here and just come in and just go, you know, we need to be engaging. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. That means we're engaging our mind. And that's what goes by what we think of because that gives us contentment. And you speak out of contentment, people listen. Like E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens, I guess. One thing about the mind is that if it's thinking on the wrong things, you all get worried because you're not thinking. You're being bludgeoned by your circumstances. Sometimes when the circumstances pound you and pound you and pound you, you don't think rational. You don't even think. You just kind of lean on some instinctual thought patterns that you have. And you, do, and, and, you know, if you stopped and thought why you're worrying and why you're frustrated and anxious... Because the world's bludgeoning you, you can say, hey, guess what? God, I think about his love. Maybe I think about his purposes and his plans. And you don't have to worry because God's providential care is over you. And you're just not thinking. You're just not thinking. Next time your husband worries and becomes anxious, ladies, you just tell him, hey, honey, you're just not thinking. (laughs) That'll go over well. What do you mean I'm not thinking? Or guys, you can say that about your wife. But you're not thinking what? You're not thinking right. Because you're worried. God doesn't want you worried. And all the thought, life has pushed some thoughts on you. And you've got to reroute your thinking. And there's a little bit of discipline to that. There's got to be. Change your mindset. Well, I worry because I think too much. No, you don't think too much. You think on the wrong things. You're thinking too much. You're allowing life to push you around, and it's doing the thinking for you. Don't let life push you around, because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Yeah, it's, it's just, you know, we don't have to. We, now, we get there, guys, but we don't have to live there. We don't have to stay there. We have the mind, and guess what? We have the mind of Christ, the Bible says, is in Corinthians. That's a pretty, pretty powerful statement. You have the mind of Christ. So if that's so, then we should be content 
We should dwell on the right things, and we have that opportunity at every juncture. We are the product of what we think. As a man thinks, so he is. And again, let me go back. We're more concerned about how we feel. We're not concerned with truth or what's right or what's honorable. We're concerned about how we feel. You know, you're looking to purchase a house, let's say. The person selling it tells you that the house is good shape, and you look at it and you go, it looks like it's in good shape, you know. They don't disclose there's a small leak in the roof. The the plumbing uh, is a little bit faulty in the crawl space, and the foundation is shifting, and it may need fixed. They They don't really give that to you. It's not the truth, and that's not right, and that's not honorable, now, that's why we have house inspections sometimes. But if they sell it to you on contract, sometimes you don't look into it. And so for, for the world says, hey, as long, long as I can line, they're happy and they feel good because they've lined their pocket with the commission that they sold you a house. And you look at the house and say, it looks good. It makes me feel good. And you don't do any mind thinking like, let's check the house. It's important. You're purchasing a vehicle from, from a guy, and he says, hey, it's only got 63,000 miles on it. And you find out later that dude put like over 300,000 miles on it, and you got gypped. The world doesn't care if it's truthful, if it's honorable, or if it's right. Your truck needs a transmission. The guy in the train, and I'm not saying this happens all the time, but, you know. You go to the transmission place, and you need a new one, and you don't know what a transmission, a good one, looks like, so you're just going, okay, you know. And so truth and honor, the world evades. We are all about the honorable thing to do. That's what we should be doing. Again, the church is more concerned with this. If we tell the truth about homosexuality or about drinking or about pornography, if we tell the truth about, you know, then you know what? You know what could happen? It could divide our congregation and people won't come. Or it could offend somebody. And we don't want to offend anybody as a Christian. So we just kind of avoid the truth. We don't really come right out and say the truth. The truth is Jesus died for the drunkard. And if you're in your church and you think that just because your pastor drinks, and I'm not saying this for any other angle, that he drinks... And that, you know, you can drink and then you can get a little bit of a buzz going on. The Bible says this, that the drunkard won't inherit the kingdom. I'm not saying drinking is all bad, although I don't. But I'm just saying, what's the truth? We don't want to. Don't offend those people. Don't offend them when you talk about homosexuality. Just say, hey, listen, you know, it's your alternative lifestyle. We'll let God deal with you. No, no. Tell them, I don't want you to go to hell and burn forever. You need to stop that. That's not good. And we love you. We're not against you. I love the drunkard. I love the swindler. I love them all. And it all falls in that category. But, but we're too, how we make everybody feel good. So you don't want to talk about controversial things from the pulpit, nor in your Bible study. And your church certainly doesn't want to tackle a few. I want to be about the truth, but do it in love. You know, when you think about that list of people, you know how God sees the drug addict and the alcoholic and the prostitute? He says, finally, whatever's true in them, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good report, whatever 
is excellent in them and whatever is praiseworthy. That's what I look at. And when they come in these doors and they look shattered by life, guys, you know, we don't look at that. We look at whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's pure, what's in them. That's what we dwell on. People are going to come through those doors, and I pray they do, and they're hurting. And they look like life has beat them up. And what do we do? We don't beat them up. We look at them and love them and tell them that Jesus loves them. We need to take a stand sometimes and not be worried about hurting people's feelings. My feelings were hurt. That's why I came to Jesus, because I felt crummy the way I was living. All the drugs and alcohol, I, I felt terrible. And God used that crumminess in my life to draw me to him. And I was changed. And some people need to know that that's crummy what they're doing. That's not right. The po- politically correct thing to do is don't offend anybody. PC, I'm, I'm so tired of that. Just sort of, sort of skirt the truth and not say what's right and wrong. You guys, while under pressure, while being confronted about your faith and biblical truth, we must say what the Bible says. Do it in love and with good, thoughtful reasoning. Think it out. Let your mind know what you believe. Think it out. Don't bypass your mind. Here's what happened in the late 60s and the 70s. If it feels good, do it. Now, you guys that came out of that... Look where it got us. Well, look where we're at today. If it feels good, do it. Eh. There was a song back in the day. It was a country song. If loving you is right, wrong, I don't want to be right. So some of you guys may know that. If you're not a country buff, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? That was the theme. Eh, you know, I know you're married and I'm married, but I love you and it feels right. So I don't want to be, I don't want to be right if it's wrong. You know what? But it feels so right. When's the last time Paul said it felt right to die to yourself, you know? He just said, do it. When's the last time he said, you need to feel it? I don't always feel it. But I know the truth and what the truth is. And you know what? It's a great battlefield in the mind, isn't it? Now, this is what he says, too. He says, the things that dwell on these things and the things you have heard and learned. What things are you talking about, Paul? You know, um, here's uh, things as uh, things it's mentioned 920 times in the Bible, 13 times in Philippians. Philippians 1.10 says that you may approve the things that are excellent. Okay. Philippians 3.1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write you the same things. Again, is no problem to me and a safeguard for you. Okay. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul says, These things that I have taught you and you've learned and trust to other faithful men who will be able to teach other. Paul, what things are you talking about? John even says, Don't love the things in the world. So I could say to you, I want you to go to my house and pick up my things. And you're going, What things? You know, it's like there's a whole bunch of things in your house. Am I supposed to pick them all up? No, go in the front room and pick up those things in the front room. And I believe what Paul's talking about, the things here are really pertinent to to, the Philippian church primarily. We can go all over and say the things that he taught in the New Testament. But he's talking to this group. So what things is he talking about? The first thing that we learned in four, that he gave six. Remember last week by way of review. Gosh, I cannot believe it's this late. This is crazy. 
So he said, by way of review, that I want you to do these, these are attributes, biblical things that you can do to have joy and be content, is to stand firm, to live in harmony, to rejoice always, to be of a gentle spirit, don't be anxious, but be calm and pray. Those are the things he mentioned. And then right before he said that, he said, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's lovely, on and on, dwell on these things. So there's what he's talking about. I want you to dwell on those things. That's what I have for you. Stand firm in these areas. And then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, we understand will be, it says here, it will be with you. Peace of God will be with you. I like that. Kind of like snuggling up to some peace. Uh, it's kind of it's it's crazy, but but all world religions and and philosophies lean on that is that we snuggle up with with peace. Now we're going to move to. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, now that the last you've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but never had the opportunity. Verse 11, not that I speak from want, nor I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances. Contentment. And I want to end with this contentment and try to unravel just a little bit of what maybe helps us to know that maybe we're in bondage and we're not content. And this morning, you, God does have on his docket for you this morning to walk out of here content. You know, just say, I'm content. I'm happy. Um, 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Godliness, contentment, what does it mean? Rich. You're of great gain. 1 Timothy 6.8 says, Be content with food and covering. And Hebrews 13.5 says, being content with what you have. Are you content with just your food, your house? Didn't even say a car there. It just said food and covering. Be content with what you have, Hebrews. What do you have this morning that you're not content with? Are you waiting for something to happen in the future? And you're, I'll be content when... I'll be happy when, oh, when I graduate, or when I get married, or when I get this job. No, he says that the contentment is now. The Greek word for contentment is Greek is autor, and it means a perfect condition of life in which no aid or support is needed. I love that. It's independent of circumstances. One guy says it's a mental or emotional state of satisfaction may be drawn from being at ease with one's uh, with one's satisfaction, um, so you're independent. So I'm content no matter where I'm at. If I was dropped into a big well like Jeremiah, I would be. I, God say you have the availability to be content there. I hate. I, I absolutely hate elevators, and I hate. And I'm claustrophobic. And I'm going to tell you, it will be a hard press for me to get content if that thing stopped in the middle of floors and I'm sitting there freaking out. But God says, you can be content there, Tom Camp. I mean, that's just a hypothetical. But, you know, all things we can be content. Satisfaction may be drawn from being at ease in one's own satisfaction. Paul was a satisfied man. The stones couldn't do it. They, they tried it and they said, and they got rich and everything. I can't get no satisfaction. And then we got another generation, you too, and Bono says, hey, listen, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. 
They're still out there trying to find satisfaction. They got all the money in the world, they star status, celebrity status, boom. They're still not content. They're still not content. Paul was chained to a Roman soldier, unable to move about, unable to work and minister the way he always had before. He was isolated. He's living on the bare minimums of life, had a slight ration of food. He was afflicted with the difficulty of being captive. And he says, I've learned to be content. I've I've been through a few things, and it's taught me one thing, that life is hard, but God is good. (laughs) And I can be content with him. Contentment, guys. Well, let's just say when he was there and they, and they gave him a gift there while he was uh, uh, in prison, the Philippians did, they gave him some commissary because he didn't have anything two years he was in there. No, you guys know what commissary is. Content is not only a virtue, but may I just add boldly, if I can, and I believe it, that it is a command, a calling, if you will. It's like discipleship is not an option. You're all called to disciple someone. And really, we're called to be content. Because when you're not content, you don't understand the providential care of a sovereign God who loves you. You've kind of vacated that. The pursuit of contentment is the thread in many philosophical religions, schools across all cultures, like I said earlier. One guy says, John Stuart Mill, I've learned to seek my happiness by limiting my desires rather than uh, attempting to satisfy them. Close, John, because that's a good principle. If I don't, in, in, in America, you'd watch a TV and they'll create a desire. Hey, you want a nice Lexus that, that's electric and it drives itself and it has a stereo and you can't hear anything outside? You, and then you're going, Man, I need that. I need this toothpaste that makes my teeth real white and all the girls will come after. I need that. You know, and then they, they're just creating all these needs for you guys. They're desires that you don't need. Watch the TV long enough and you're going to be so discontent. Watch the news long enough and you're real discontent. <laughs> he who is content with what he has will not contend with what he would like to have. Socrates. Oh, Socrates. Sorry, he's close, but sorry. He who seeks more than he needs hinders himself from enjoying what he has. That good. But they're leaving one component out of it. Jesus. Jesus is our contentment. In Islam, they say, truly, it is the remembrance of Allah that our hearts find contentment. The Quran 1329. So if you just remember Allah, well, Allah is not the God that we know. They, they say it is, but it's a different God. And in, in who's telling you to do that? Muhammad, who was a child pedophile. He was a pedophile. He was goofed up. The Dalai Lama says, if one's life is simple, contentment has come. Simplicity is extremely important for happiness. Having few desires, feeling satisfied with what you have is very vital. Satisfaction with just enough food, clothing, and shelter to protect you from the elements. Dalai Lama. So you think, oh man, that's pretty wise. That's contentment. No, the Dalai doesn't know. (laughs) Contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want, but the realization of how much you really have. I mean, that's pretty good. I like that. 
It's not I, when I get here and do this, like, how can I be more blessed? Every once in a while, I have to do a reality check. And, and it's real easy when I look at my wife and I look at my house and I call my grandkids and FaceTime them. And I look at all that and, and I look at how life has been to me. I, I'm convicted because there's times I'm just not content. And I got to take a spiritual inventory and thank the Lord for what he's given me. I'm the richest man on the planet. Then I hope you think the same thing. We are rich. Godliness with contentment is of great gain. Not just gain. So are you happy this morning with your situation you're in? Paul was confident that God was on his throne. And the last time I checked, guys, this morning, guess what? He's still on his throne. Amen? He's still there. And he possesses providential care over all my circumstances. The providence connected with the word provide is what the word provide. The Stoic people, the Greek Stoic people, this is what they thought about providence. And this is, or, or really being content. It's kind of like... Um, I don't care the contentment of indifference. You ever heard someone that's stoic? They're very kind of hard. Uh, they, they abolish feelings and emotion. Like, you know, I lost my iPhone. Who cares? That today is like, wait a minute, I lost my iPhone. I've lost everything. Lost my life. I lost my mind. I lost... My dog died. Who cares? To be a stoic is like, it doesn't matter. Ah, you're content with just nothing and you're, you don't care about anything. And there are people that are that way today. And it's either drug-induced by psychotropics, and not all psychotropics are wrong or evil. But we want to medicate people, and they go, I really don't care. As long as I got some Prozac or a fixer, and again, those aren't evil in and of themselves. I'm just saying if if it is something that is replacing the peace in your life, it could be problematic after a while. It could be. I'm not just saying. So we live in the most discontented society on the earth, America. And Paul said, I learned the secret. Uh, I've been in prison. George Mueller was one of the guys that really, really stood out to me. George Mueller, was, he started all the orphanages in England back in the day. He's no longer with us. But that man never told anybody any of his needs. The Lord just supplied. He was content with allowing the Lord to meet all of his needs. You can read the story. Discontentment is when we're, we want to be in control and we're worried and fearful. It's important that we, when we're not going, so looking at this and closing, the providential care of God. God orchestrates everything to accomplish his will. There's two ways that God accomplishes his will. One is by miracles and one is by providential care. I like, I like that. So he can intervene with a miracle, and he, he split the sea open, and, and, and the Red Sea open, and it was a miracle, and, and Israel went through to the other side, and boom. I mean, he intervened. He got it done. But then there's the providential care. Takes all the diverse elements of the normal life and orchestrates them to accomplish his purposes. He, guys, at any time, he has billions of circumstances that he's putting together and orchestrating to put together, like, this will work for Tom, this will work for Tom, that, you know, everything works, that, and he puts all these things together. 
everything that happened to you in your life and he works them for the good. That's more of a miracle than a miracle. Can you imagine multitasking every circumstance in the world with billions of people and he's working it all out? And we, we can never say in our life when we die or on our deathbed, I wish that would have never happened. A true believer will go, even though it was my fault and my will invoked, I do believe that God was orchestrating even that. And he allowed, he orchestrated my failures. He was there engineering them, helping me to get along through them. Yeah, my will was involved, but God orchestrates my, my will with his sovereignty and his providential care. He provides all of our needs. Joseph's life was the ideal epitome of providential care, right? Man, I put in jail. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. My brothers chumped me. My, my dad doesn't believe what I, And he could have said, woe is me. But it was in providential care that he saved the nation of Israel through Joseph's being on the throne in Egypt. It was providential. And then he just says, I'm satisfied with what? Closing. I'm satisfied with uh, in humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. I know how to live humbly. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled. I'm hungry at times, but I'm not hungry. Both of having abundance and suffering need. I've learned something. I learned that my mind has to dwell on the right things for me to be content. And so he's saying to these guys, hey, it's all about where your mind is. And it's all about what you're garbage in, garbage out. Guys, you need to read this thing every day. You need to put your life in there. And this, there's no other book. There's nothing else that you can. This is it. I don't know what else to tell you. If you just take this book and you believe it and you read it and you just let it envelop your mind, you will be a content Christian. You will walk in joy. Not, you know, it's not like you're always going to walk in this great, massive joy. Even when I'm bummed out, I still have contentment at the bottom of my heart and joy, no matter what the situation is. And when you dwell on the right things and you see someone come through that door and guys, they're going to come through this door at Harvest Chapel. That's why we're here. And they're hurting and they look like life beat them up. We dwell on the good in them. Lord, look at them. They're potentially a soul that can be saved. I know it looks kind of hard right now, but we love them. Bring them in because you see what's good and what's right, what's pure in them. You see what's lovely in them. You see the excellence of their life. That's what he saw in Tom Camp. Jesus didn't say, Peter, you have flubbed it up so many times, eh, you're done. No, he said, Peter, guess what? I'm going to make you the leader of the first church. And although you've got all these things you're going to do, I see you for what you're going to be. And this is what he sees, every one of you, what you're going to be and not what you are. And then get content that he is working all things out for the good, for those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose.